I never heard weeping like that before or after. Not from a child, nor a man wounded in the palm, nor a tortured man, nor a girl dragged off to slavery from a taken city. If you heard the woman you most hate in the world weep so, you would go to comfort her. You would fight your way through fire and spears to reach her. And I knew who wept it, and what had been done to her, and who had done it. I was pointing out last time that the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self changed into a Christ self. All right, welcome back to the Inklings Variety Hour. C.S. Lewis wrote Till We Have Faces, A Myth Retold, Quickly, in collaboration with his wife, Joy Davidman, publishing it in 1956. But he had, a, he had really been developing it for 35 years, according to him, um, ever since his atheist undergraduate days. Reworking of the Cupid and Psyche myth from the point of view of one of Psyche's quote-unquote evil sisters, it had been written as an unfinished narrative poem. Um, in these early versions, Oriole's anger at the gods is vindicated, and the gods are proven to be unjust. But Lewis's Christianity and success as a writer of prose ultimately changed both the genre of the poem and its outcome. After publication, Lewis considered it his finest novel. This novel is notable for its interiority. Lewis explores the psychology of the Queen of Gloam from her childhood as an ugly princess until the loss of her favorite sister, Psyche, later lifting up the veil just a bit to allow us to see her fate in the age to come. I'm Chris Pipkin, and I am the father of three small children who often weep as well, uh, although probably not as badly as uh, Psyche was. And I am also a professor at uh, Emmanuel College uh, here in Franklin Springs, Georgia, and am in the midst of heavy grading, which makes me weep uh, from time to time. Um, although, again, probably not as badly as Psyche. Mm. Um, and who are you? I am Annika Smith. Uh, I'm a lawyer originally based in D.C. Um, over the last year, I have been moving about quite a bit. And I'm currently up in Newport, Rhode Island. Part of my moving about is uh, staying with various families who take me in during COVID times. Thank you. Um, think of think of those who who need to be taken in, y'all. Um, it's good. Uh, and currently, there has been a a child crying in in my residence as well at, while I was reading this. So that was poignant and kind of sweet. Uh, um, and, and Megan Logston, our third co-host, is on a seminary-induced break from the podcast, but mm. she'll be back again soon. Yay! Um, so, um, Annika, I feel like I got a little bit of an idea of how you're doing from uh, that from that introduction. Um, <laughs> um, what's been going on? Um, well, moved up to Newport with my friends uh, here for about a month, uh, just helping out and so thankful. It is beautiful. I've never been 
anywhere north of New York City um, on the East Coast. Oh, really? Originally from the West Coast. And it, it is just gorgeous. I was not ready. Also, I miss the ocean and living on the ocean. Yeah, I forgot that that's my, I think that's my like platonic state is I'm supposed to live on the water. That's yeah. where I'm actually, maybe it's more Boethian. Like I'm meant to go to the water. Um, I see water and I run into it. Uh, Wait, why, I is, to go why, to is that, why is that Boethian? <laughs> Uh, Cause you know, Boethius explains like gravity, like you're like things go like sparks fly upward because fire is meant to go to heaven. We, we also were meant to go to God. Mm. Right. Um, and the, the rocks fall cause they belong to the earth and they know like, that's why gravity works. Cause it wants to go to its home. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. All the things that are made of earth. So yeah, I'm, I think I'm made of water. Um and I meant to be on the water. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most of us are made of water. We're we're all a little, <laughs> all a little briny. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that. I like that. Um, yeah, I, I remember. Um, uh, and I forget the piece uh, where Lewis um, sort of explains the difference between. It's probably the discarded image. That's probably what it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, where he talks about. Why is it more anthropomorphic to talk about things in the physical world inclining towards different directions? Um, why is that more anthropomorphic to talk about, you know, rocks as though they desired to go down and water as though it desired to go down and, and uh, fire as though it desired to go up than saying that matter obeyed laws? Like, which is, which is more, <laughs> you know, anthropomorphizing. Um, Fair. Yeah. He talks about the kindly inclining the, uh, of, of mm. different uh, uh, matter. But yeah, I'm a sea person too. I really like the ocean um, and I yeah. miss it because I didn't really get to visit it last year. You know, as mm. I'm sure many people did not. So you've heard, maybe you've heard that like, like either you're a mountain person or you're an ocean person. Yes. I'm working on a theory that Tolkien is an ocean person and C.S. Lewis is a mountain person. Aren't they, aren't they both, both? I mean. I think they are. They do both <sighs> like both, but I think when it comes, when it really comes to it, I feel like C.S. Lewis associates the divine with mountains more and Tolkien associates this sort of uh, desire for, Mm-hmm. absolute with the ocean more. Mm. Um, although I am, I mean, there's certainly leaf by niggle that sort of contradicts that um, and, and other things as well. Um, yeah. I mean, but, but Lewis shared with Tolkien, right? Like, so Tolkien had the song of the Ainur was in the sea. You cross mm-hmm. the sea uh, going, going into, into the West. Um and for Lewis, it was like the the cardinal direction was changed because Narnia <laughs> had a different mm-hmm. uh, coastline, mm-hmm. right? So it's um, over into the east, but it was Ripachip sailing. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for for some of us, the best Narnian chronicle is um, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, yep. which is all about that longing and glory. And I think that gets to i mean that's the way to aslan's country it's yeah no i think i think that's i think that's true although in the very next book 
Aslan's country is characterized by being very, very high. Yeah. Right, right. I just, I think both of them associate the divine with both, but mm-hmm. I feel like there are more instances in Lewis of the mountains being associated mm-hmm. with that and in uh, Tolkien, more instances of the, of the sea um, mm. and whatever is beyond the sea being associated with that. Right. Um, but I could be very wrong um, about, about all of that. Um, uh, I, yeah. Well, well, now I'm thinking of Numenor and the, wasn't the mountain on Numenor? Um, sorry, this is so off topic, but now I'm just really going to think about this. Um, wasn't the mountain on Numenor where like the, the princess who was from the line of noble kings um, appealed to the gods when um, there was like the great apostasy and, and all the stuff that Sauron tricked the Numenorians into doing. And didn't she appeal to heaven by going to the top, like to that holy hill that had been abandoned? Mm, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds lovely. Um, yeah, I don't remember. Uh, probably. Um, there was... <laughs> There was that there was that mountain, but I feel like they ended up using that for like human sacrifice and stuff in the end. Um, but yeah, no, I think they profaned it, and and then that's where she goes, and the gods send the the great wave that takes out Numenor and takes out like half of Middle Earth. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, listeners, <laughs> we're, we're too lazy to look it up after this. So feel free to email us at thinklingsvarietyhour at gmail.com and set us straight. Uh, if, uh, if we're wrong about any of this, I, I don't remember myself really well enough to, uh, to, to be able to say one way or another, if, if that, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, but I'll take your word for it, Annika, if you're reasonably Thanks. sure. There's a great segue I had in mind that was like just just amazing. Uh, I, mountains and sea to um, so the sea and the mountains. The things that they have in common is that they are um, uh, there. There's a sublimity to them, right? Mm. Um, that you know later on in sort of the history of aesthetics the romantics uh saw not just a kind of um holy desolateness um in Mm. the mountains and the ocean or especially the mountains right because obviously mountains have been associated with the holy before the romantics ever came on the scene but um but also a kind of aesthetically pleasing holy remoteness right um that Mm. that was bigger than people and in some ways like akin to the majesty of god right that's you you know you could call uh sublime um you could call you could call numinous right uh which is part of the reason i think that lewis misspelled numenor um in Mm the space trilogy because he's thinking of the numinous um, mm. writing about uh, Numenor, although maybe that's just, I like a, that. Um, maybe I'm just making a, a goofy connection. I don't know. Um, 
No, I like that. That's highly suggestive. Um, yeah, well, it's it's sublime, but it's also terrifying and powerful, right? Mm-hmm. Like oceans and mountains are where there are adventures and you die. <laughs> like yeah. this is yeah. <laughs> what kills you. Yeah, there's something, there's something <laughs> of like, a, I mean, when Psyche talks about desire for death mm. in an earlier chapter of Till We Have Faces, when she's in that little room with Oriole, I can't quite. Uh, sympathize because she's linking it to a mountain and I'm a sea person. Mm. Um, And, and for me, like I, if she had framed that in the context of the ocean, while I have no interest in drowning, like ever, there's something about the immensity of the sea that is, that envelops you and makes you feel um, almost sort of like nullifies your your individuality and is a is a kind of death, right? Um, yeah. Or, or or seems to or whatever. And it's it's a it's it's such a source of joy for me, and it always has been. Um, Did you never have that longing, just like staring off? Um, man, I remember this as a young child. I would have dreams about a magical kingdom on the other side of the hills from our house. And like that longing when you look across the horizon, right, to to the far side and what's what's over those hills, what's over those mountains. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, seeing mountains gives me joy. It doesn't make me feel sort of swallowed up in an immensity. Um, well, okay, but also like you're an East Coast person. Your yeah. mountains aren't real mountains. Like That's, you're talking about hills. How dare you? <laughs> If the Glomish Mountains are good enough for God to live on, then the Appalachians <laughs> are good enough. No, no. God's at the top of Mount Rainier. That's oh, fine. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. All right. So here's, um, here, here's a question I want to think about as we sort of talk about this um, portion of Tilia Faces in Chapter 14 and Chapter 15. The, the um, piece that uh, – the, the paragraph that Annika read at the top is from chapter 15. We will get there. Uh, you know, what, what comes before and sort of leads up to it. Uh, we, we also um, need to cover. And, and one thing, one reason that we need to do that um, is because we kind of need to determine the question of whether in making the choice to do yeah. what the God has forbidden her to do, does psyche sin? Or does the sin just belong to Oriol? Or is sin even a thing that traditionally understood should be like used in this conversation? Right. Mm. Because this is a, this is kind of a mythic uh, retelling of, of redemption. Um, so um, uh, should we tackle that now or should we tackle that when we get to it? Oh, uh shoot maybe when we get to it i think that sounds yeah yeah so so let's let's uh let's look at chapter 14 so oriol has just decided that you know screw the fox um i'm gonna go uh (laughs) i'm gonna go right back up to the mountain and i am going to do this thing that i've determined to do where i will stab 
psyche and kill psyche rather than allow her to be sort of profaned isn't the word i want what, what word do i want defiled yeah 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 there you go there you go. yeah defiled by whatever criminal or beast or whatever it is that she's been lying with um and if and if need be i'll kill myself as well so um she is making preparations and the king uh lucky enough oddly enough is about to leave to go hunting and is is very excited and the whole palace kind of breathes a sigh of relief when the king leaves and Bardia has has um, has stayed behind and um, and Oriol is telling him, all right, Bardia, come on, we need to go back up up the mountain. And Bardia says, no, no, no. The only reason I didn't get to go hunting was was because I uh, have to stay here and look after the palace. I can't go with you. And he's he's concerned, and he says, and you can't ride. I wonder, I wonder now, but no, that's foolishness. There's no horse to be trusted with a rider that can't ride. And a few days hence won't serve. The best would be to give you another man. And she says, Bardia, it must be you. No one else <laughs> would be able. It's a very secret errand. I could let Graham off with you for two days and a night. Who is Graham? The small dark one. He's a good man. But can he hold his tongue? It's more a question if he can ever loosen it. We get hardly ten words from him in as many days. But he's a true man, true to me above all, for I once had the chance to do him a good turn. It will not be like going with you, Bardia. It's the best you can do, lady, unless you can wait. But I could not wait, and Bardia had Graham called. He was a thin-faced man, very black-eyed, and, I thought, looked at me as if he feared me. Bardia told him to get his horse and await me where the little lane meets the road into the city. Um... So up she goes, you know, this is not the romantic journey that she'd had um, a couple days mm-hmm. before with, with, uh, with Barbara. Yeah. Um, Graham doesn't really want to talk to her. Uh, Touching me. Yeah. Unless it was my fantasy as one who touched a snake or a witch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so not this, you know, the, the weather's not very nice, but, but up she goes um, with, with Graham. So I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a fun little, very subtle touch of humor um, in, in the book. Um, I don't know that I have anything else to say about Graham, but I just, <laughs> I just kind of, I just kind of uh, find him funny. Yeah. Well, like he's um, later on when she comes back after her interview with uh, Psyche, uh, Graham, grandma's also just kind of a funny moment of like this is reality okay yeah yeah poor gram yeah so she gets to uh psyche's place um at her you know palace that she can't see um looks like a valley and she's determined to do what she has to do to get psyche away from this this thing right um that that she's convinced herself has her in its clutches or you know this criminal that she's convinced herself has him and has her in his clutches yeah she's still kind of viewing her type of love as deeper and sterner right we might have been two images of love Mm -hmm. her and psyche the happy and the stern she's so young so bright-faced joy in her eye and limbs i burdened and resolute bringing pain in my hand so i spoke truly maya 
she said as soon as I had crossed the water and we had embraced. The king has been no hindrance to you, has he? Salute me for a prophetess. This startled me a moment, for I had forgotten her foretelling, but I put her aside to be thought of later, right? So here's even this like minor little prophecy right, mm-hmm. that Psyche has made, right? Saying, I think very soon you'll be able to come back to me because I don't think the king will hinder you, right? In, in, their, in their previous meet- meeting, and Oriole suddenly realized, oh, somehow she knew that mm-hmm. this would, uh, you know, that, that this would work out for me to come earlier. Yeah. And her response of like, ah, now I had my work to do. I must not now of all times begin doubting and pondering again. Yeah. Um, it startles her, but she put it aside to be thought of later. That very typical MO for Orwell of like, okay. Uh, this, this thing is, um, intruding upon my, my plan, my thought, my presuppositions, and I'm, I'm just going to ignore it. (laughs) I'm going to shut myself off and keep going and keep my momentum up. Yeah. And there's also a kind of, um, there's an emphasis in this early part of the conversation on Psyche's sort of childlikeness that, uh, you know, it's mentioning Psyche when she was a child. Psyche is making little jokes. You know, she seemed mm-hmm. very carefree. And, and Psyche says, what a storm cloud in your face. That's how you looked when you were most angry with me as a child. Right. So they're remembering when she's, when mm-hmm. she was a child, she basically says, here's, here's what I've come to say. You know, you spoke last time, I said, of the day we got the thorn out of your hand. We hurt you that time, Psyche, but we did right. Those who love must hurt. I must hurt you again today. And Psyche, you are still little more than a child. You cannot go your own way. You will let me rule and guide you. Or you will have a husband to guide me now. It was difficult not to be angered or terrified by her harping on it. I bit my <laughs> lip and said, alas, child. It is about that very husband, as you call him, that I must grieve you. I looked straight at her eyes and said sharply, Who is he? What is he? A god, she said low and quivering. And I think the god of the mountain. Right? So she's, you know, at at this point, even though Psyche is wise and Oriole is foolish, the parts that they're playing are the part of of the very grave parent Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. child. Psyche is full of faith and, mm-hmm. and Oriole is trying desperately to recapture her old authority over Psyche. Um, and right. then it's kind of changes through the course of their conversation, which is, which is interesting. Uh, right. Like is, is the faith that Psyche shows, is this naivete like a child or is this trust that comes from experience um, and not needing to know all the details and, uh, everything to it, right? Yeah, yeah. And she makes she makes Psyche angry a few times as she's sort of saying, "Oh, this is some sort of thing, right? This is mm-hmm. um, there. There's no end to the secrecy of this this husband, as you call him, child. Has this has his vile love so turned your brain that you can't see the plainest thing? A god? Yet on your own showing, he hides and slinks and whispers, mum, and keep counsel, and don't betray me like a runaway slave.'" I'm not certain that she listened to this. What she said was, the fox too, that is very strange because Oriole has told her that the fox and Bardia agree with her about this, right? She's right. Says, Neither he nor I nor Bardia 
believes for one moment in your fancy that it is the god, no more than this wild heath is a palace. And be sure, Psyche, that if we could ask every man and woman in Gloam, all would say the same. The truth is too clear. But what is all this to me? How should they know? I am his wife. I know. How can you know if you have never seen him? Or you will. How can you be so simple? I, how could I not know? But how, Psyche? What am I to answer such a question? It's not fitting. It is, and especially to you, sister, who are a virgin. That matronly primness from the child she was went near to ending my patience. It was almost, but I think now she did not mean it, as if she taunted me, yet I ruled myself. Well, if you are so sure, Psyche, you will not refuse to put it to the test. What test? Though I need none myself, I have brought a lamp and oil. See, here they are. I set them down beside her. Wait till he or it sleeps. Then look. I cannot do that. Ah, you see? You will abide no test. And why? Because you are not sure yourself. If you were, you'd be eager to do it. If he is, as you say, a god, one glimpse will set all our doubts at rest. What you call our dark thoughts will be put to flight. But you daren't. Oh, Oriole, what evil you think. The reason I cannot look at him, least of all by such trickery as you'd have me do, is that he has forbidden me. I can think. Bardia and the fox can think of one reason only for such a forbidding, and of one only for your obeying it. Then you know little of love. You fling my virginity in my face again, do you? Better it than the sty you're in. So be it. Of what you now call love, I do know nothing. You can whisper about it to Redible better than to me, or to Ungut's girls, maybe, or to the king's doxies. I know another sort of love. You shall find what it's like. You shall not... Oriole, Oriole, you are raving, said Psyche, herself unangered, gazing at me large-eyed, sorrowful, but nothing humble about her sorrow. So I don't want to say the balance tips here, um, but Oriole's sort of motherly protectiveness of Psyche is sort of revealed for the raving sort of selfishness that it is um and and psyche comes out more queenly here right Mm -hmm. Um, right it begins and she's she's making the case right like think through it the the logic of it nothing that's beautiful hides its face nothing that's honest hides its name in your heart you must see the truth whose bride were you called the brutes like like she's like teaching a lesson um you can almost hear the fox's logic coming through here either a monster or a salt villain and then as she keeps going more of how she has wronged psyche and what she's done um she also uh, told the fox and bardia psyche's story and that is its own betrayal Psyche says, you've told them my story, Orwal. It was ill done. I gave you no leave. My Lord gave no leave. Oh, Orwal, it was more like Bada than you. And I love that telling other people's stories brought me right back to um, Lucy with the magician's book in uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, where she was, she used uh, the spell book to spy on some of her friends and learn some things that were not pleasant for her to know. And she was told by Aslan, right, that 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 was not hers to know. 
and there are, when she asks about the star, that's not, let's see, was that on the other island when it's like not the other star's story to tell? And Lewis uses mm-hmm. that exact phrase, mm-hmm. like that's not his story to tell. That's not yeah. my story to tell. Um, but that there's a betrayal, even if no one has said, oh, hey, don't tell anyone this. <laughs> there is a betrayal in just sharing these these stories, uh, other people's stories where you haven't been given leave um, yeah. and betrayal there. Yeah. And then she, she also then goes on to uh, you when, as you said, uh, Psyche is, is confused that the Fox would have believed in the brute. Uh, Orwell says, I had not said he did, or, or the narrator, Orwell, right? Looking back um, and begins to process this. But if that was what she took out of my words, I thought it no part of my duty to set her right. It was an error helping her towards the main truth. I had need of all help to drive her thither. So we see how unscrupulous she is. She's not going to correct her misunderstandings. She's going to mislead and twist the truth. And as she keeps going with that misleading, then we even get to... um, that I can think Barty and the Fox can think of one such reason only. Well, no, Barty and the Fox actually think two very different reasons only for, for the forbidding of, of seeing the God. And the, the Fox doesn't think, neither of them think that it's wise for Orwell to be doing this and, and messing with, messing with Psyche right now. Right. So you can see she's disintegrating from that beginning, it, it keeps getting worse until the, the raving happens. And I, I think that's also really subtle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think with Oriol, like we've, you know, sort of talked about before, she has enough of the Fox's logic in her. It's not that she doesn't believe in the gods, but that she expects them if they're good to reason like people do. Mm. But the gloomish person in her doesn't allow that to make her purely uh, a rationalist like the Fox seems to be, right? She's not a stoic, you know, to her, Bardia's explanation and the Fox's explanation to the, to the extent that they support the idea that something disagreeable has psyche. Mm. uh, They are saying the same thing, but to Bardia, when he says something like, you know, it's it's something that would rather not be looked at, he he his takeaway is not therefore go and get that girl away from right. that thing that you know it's it's like this is something completely holy and weird and beyond me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and meanwhile, the fox wants to rescue Psyche, but it's out of it's it's not out of a purely possessive love like. Um, like, like Oriole's love, you know, seems to be, uh, but, but yeah, there's this, uh, there's this odd melding of the two ways of viewing uh, the gods and of holy things that Oriole is kind of able to twist both to condone what she desires and what she desires mm-hmm. is psyche for herself um, entirely for herself. And so, so because, that's how she feels. And when Psyche says, dear Maya, my duty is no longer to you. 
She says, then my life shall end with it, said I. I flung back my cloak further, thrust out my bare left arm, and struck the dagger into it till the point pricked out on the other side. Pulling the iron back through the wound was the worst pain, but I can hardly believe how little I felt it. Oriol, are you mad? cried Psyche, leaping up. You'll find linen in that urn. Tie up my wound, said I, sitting down and holding my arm out to let the blood fall on the heather. I had thought she might scream and wring her hands or faint, but I was deceived. She was pale enough, but had all her wits about her. She bound my arm. The blood came seeping through fold after fold, but she staunched it in the end. My stroke had been lucky enough. If I had known as much then as I do now about the inside of an arm, I might not, who knows, have had the resolution to do it. So this is her showing her, listen, I am serious. I will kill myself Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't do what I'm asking you to do and, you know, do the thing that your husband has forbidden you by shining the light on him and seeing what kind Mm -hmm. of a person or monster he is. Swear on this edge with my blood still wet on it that you will this very night do as I have commanded you or else I'll first kill you and then myself. Or you will, said she very queen-like, raising her head. You might have spared that threat of killing me. All your power over me lies in the other. And swear, girl, you never knew me break my word. The look in her face now is when I did not understand. I think a lover, I mean a man who loved, might look so on a woman who had been false to him. And at last she said, You are indeed teaching me about kinds of love I did not know. It is like looking into a deep pit. I am not sure whether I like your kind better than hatred. Oh, Oriol, to take my love for you, because you know it goes down to my very roots and cannot be diminished by any newer love, by any other newer love. And then to make of it a tool, a weapon, a thing of policy and mastery, an instrument of torture... I begin to think I never knew you. Whatever comes after, something that was between us dies here. Um, right, so um, so she agrees to do this, right? Um, yeah. And says, if, if I do, it will not be for any doubt of my husband or his love. It will only be because I think better of him than of you. He cannot <laughs> be cruel like you. I'll not believe it. He will know how I was tortured into my disobedience. He will forgive me. He need never know, said I. The look of scorn she gave me flayed my soul, and yet this very nobleness in her, had I not taught it to her? What was there in her that was not my work? And now she used it to look at me as if I were base beneath all baseness. You thought I would hide it? Thought I would not tell him? She said, each word like the rubbing of a file across raw flesh. Well, it's all of a piece. Let us, as you say, make an end. You grow more and more a stranger to me at each word. And I had loved you so, loved, honored, trusted, and while it was fit, obeyed. And now, but I can't have your blood on my threshold. You chose your threat well. I'll swear. Where's your dagger? So I had won my victory, and my heart was in torment. Ah. So, so yeah, that's how she gets Psyche to agree. Um to do this thing um right and to disobey Mm -hmm. her husband lewis seems to be interested in these sort of moments when an otherwise perfect person can make the choice to sin or not um if you've read paralandra which i'm sure we'll get to one day 
Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a similar idea, right? Like let's, let's, let's go back to the garden of Eden and figure out how does someone who is perfect come to make the choice to sin? Uh, yeah, I, I was just trying do you, do you think psyche sins here? If so, does that mess with the, with the allegory of it all? Um, what's, yeah, what's, um, I mean, the allegory isn't that psyche, well, depends on what level of allegory you mean. If, if we are all psyche, then no, right? Like that's, that's very obviously fine for her to not be perfect. Um, And in her choosing Orwell and choosing to give in, like, isn't that a failure of not choosing her husband who does have the better claim and who did for, for bad, like who forbade her. Yeah. No, I think she does sin in, in the sense of betraying a trust and that circumstances wouldn't have, I mean, she, I think she is right that um, she, she's right to think better of her husband than of you, but isn't that kind of cheap too? Um He'll know how I was tortured into my disobedience and he'll forgive me. Like, oh, he'll get it. Um, And I I know it's not quite that flip, um, but it does, it it seems to not understand the cost it will be to him and to her. Yeah. Right. But it's also though, it's not a cost to him in this, right? I mean, I mean, if it was the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, sure. You know, Aslan gets led to the stone table, and, and so, but there's no stone table here. It's Psyche, Psyche suffers, and Oriol suffers with Psyche. Uh, but you, you no, don't think the God of the Mountain suffers being separated from his Psyche? It's just not clear. Um, and if you're if you're to take, you know, sort of the theophany that occurs um in chapter 15 he's impassive um he doesn't seem to be one who is capable of suffering uh Um, well he's the face he presents to oruwal is mm -hmm. i I don't think that's necessarily his only face yeah yeah Um, right because that's also the rejection that she feels um yeah. 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 I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to square, you know, I, I realize that this is sort of uh what if uh, it's, it's a, it's a dramatization of the idea that pagan theology could have had truth in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that would have been connected to uh, and ultimately, um, ultimately fulfilled in Christ, right? For sure. But there's also, I don't want to ignore, I guess, the apparent differences that you do have between the, you know, I mean, Christ in the New Testament is not the son of a vengeful goddess of love who maybe <laughs> maybe is a shadow of human nature when it is like you know contrasted with the divine but but maybe is also just a vindictive goddess um 
Yeah. But, but isn't that a separate, that's a separate question than where we started, right? Like the the question of, because like, okay, the God of the mountain isn't really Aslan ish, right? Like it's not a, it's not a strict allegory. Like it's not here is Christ and you mess up and then he banishes you. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Um, Right. It's the question of is psyche wrong? Um, I have no idea. Um, and I can, I can really see it either way. I can see it as a, um, you know, what, what I wrote in the, in, in kind of the notes as we were preparing for this, um, which believe it or not, listeners, we do prepare for these episodes, <laughs> uh, at least a little bit. Um, it reminded me a bit of Milton's Adam in Paradise Lost, who uh, sort of chooses to sin after Eve sins um, because he wants to be together with Eve and doesn't want to lose her, which Milton apparently still faults her for because Adam sort of, you know, their, their love spoils essentially once mm. they both fall. Right. But, um, but the difference is that with this, we don't really see, we see, mm psyche running away weeping but that's it we don't see psyche again really you know uh, other than this kind of, we, we don't we don't see her kind of mm. corrupting at all if she does right and i'm inclined to think she doesn't because it seems to almost be a have you ever have you ever seen that 1980 here we go again have you ever seen that <laughs> 1980s uh movie twins Yes. With Danny DeVito and Arnold, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. And yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger is like the um, the twin that got all the good qualities. And Danny DeVito is the one who got all the bad qualities. Well, Oriole is kind of like the Danny DeVito to Psyche's uh, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> like, it seems like Oriole is like the shadow self of Psyche almost, right? In, in this in this weird way. Um, so, so that like, I don't know. It's, it's, which, which is part of the reason that I'm like hesitant to say psyche sins because psyche seems to almost be like if Oriole by the end becomes psyche and, and he says, you also shall be psyche. If psyche is this other sort of discrete in the like C-R-E-T-E sense, like mm-hmm. self, that's not, it's not terribly great to say like, oh, I don't like you so much as the person you are. You'll be this other person that you've always like kind of wanted to be like, right? Um, but but rather you also shall be psyche should mean you also will be this perfect, this like platonic ideal of the perfect human, right? Um, and and Right, but isn't that. psyche herself taken up into that as well? And isn't... Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. And I, I, it's just driving me crazy about this book as much as I love yeah. it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. Isn't that the mystery of maybe? Is it also just the mystery of being a bride in the church and like the church being such a mess, other Christians being such a mess and betraying you, <laughs> betraying each other, you betray them and yeah, we're all going to look like Jesus one day, like, and his perfect spotless bride. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah, there. I mean, there's, a, you know, there's a deeper mystery here, just as obviously for all our theology, there are mysteries that that theology does not mm-hmm. adequately trace. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. fascinating. Um, 
Uh, you mentioned uh, Shushaku, yeah. Shushaku Endo's novel. Yeah. Well, you, you're talking about um, because Psyche's betrayal of the god, like the god of the mountain can take it, we assume. And she's doing it to save Orwell. Like she's not doing it to save herself. She's doing it to prevent someone else's suffering. And uh, silence can really... Um, the the book uh, by Endo and then the the movie that came out a few years ago um, from Scorsese. Uh, the the priest is confronted with his his congregants being tortured and the the people in charge torturing everybody. They they challenge him like, why won't you just? apostatize why won't you reject christianity just say it's all false we'll make it really easy and they have a, a, a fumier i never know how to say that like an image of of christ mm-hmm. and what you do to apostatize is you step on it and stamp it and people are refusing to do it and being crucified he's watching them drown like all these horrible and and real deaths and and finally he comes to the crisis and he he keeps feeling like it's it is selfish for him not to and in, in the novel it's really clear that it's Christ speaking and sa- that says you know go ahead like step on me take the mm-hmm. step and in the movie it seems a little more ambiguous uh, and it's uh, a hard to it's just a beautiful and strange thing, mm. but the apostasy, the purpose of that betrayal is to end the suffering, the very real suffering and deaths of, of others that mm-hmm. can be prevented mm-hmm. by this apostasy. Um, so it's not his faith is for himself, right? Like, Oh, I'm going to like, if I am tortured, even so I won't, but it's, I was thinking about this. Um, you know, when ISIS was going through the Iraqi Christian population so quickly, there were reports of you know, parents having their children held up in front of them and saying, do you confess Christ or do you want to see your child again? Um, and having their children slaughtered in front of them. And that sort of, is that a betrayal to say like, <laughs> no, at that moment for for the sake of one you love. Um, that's a much harder question than, well, you die. Um, right. Someone else dies. I, I do think though, the manipulation and the, the giving in to Orwell and obeying her in her tyranny, because it's not Orwell's suffering. It's Orwell's demand and her, like Psyche could resist her, right? Like yeah. Orwell's not going to kill Psyche. And if Orwell kills herself, like that's that's ultimately not on Psyche, right? Yeah. Like that's that's not yeah. unwarranted suffering. That's suicide by a crazy person. Yeah. I mean, that is not I don't think at all equivalent to I don't know, agreeing to betray because someone has threatened to kill themselves versus agreeing to betray because someone is threatening to kill someone else. Mm -hmm. um, I think seem like, 
you know, now, now that you've mentioned the thing with the, with ISIS and, and stuff, I'm like, that is, that is completely, yeah. I, that's very that's, different. Yeah. That's, that's uh, just, yeah. A whole level of awful that, um, that they, that Lewis doesn't really go here in, in, in this book, which is good. Um, um, and I don't, I don't think they could redeem Oriwell if, if it did um, as a, as a character anyway. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 an odd choice, and you'd think that Psyche would just say no, sorry. But but I guess in this choice, she is showing that she does love Oriable in a way that will mar her own happiness, which is kind of what Oriable has been wanting this whole yeah. time. She's wanted Psyche to be less happy in order to prove that Psyche loves, loves her. her. But the irony of it all is that this actually is because it's a disordered love. It's actually not loving, right? Because it's not in accordance with the one who is love. It's it's something else. If Psyche's sort of perfection gets a crack in it here in some obvious way, I don't see it. Right, other than she just agrees with with Oriole. She doesn't get angry when she shouldn't get angry. She doesn't act like an ordinary sinful person would in most of these instances. She just makes this choice. Um, I don't know. I, it still feels like she messed up to me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like, I know I'm betraying the best of lovers and that perhaps before mm-hmm. sunrise, like she, I know what I do. She says, I know I'm yeah. betraying the best of lovers. Yeah. This is the price you put on your life. Well, I must pay it. Like she she knows she's messing up and she's choosing to do it, which feels more like like the stepping on the fumier and mm-hmm. um yeah. less. No, I think I think that's a, the the analogy with with the endo novel is really good. Um I think it's I think it's um a really and and the and the endo novel I don't know about the end of now because I haven't read it, but I've, I've, I've seen the movie <laughs> and the Scorsese movie, uh, you know, maybe makes it ambiguous that he's making the right choice. I think the Scorsese movie rather promotes the view that he is definitely making the right choice. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I don't, I don't think Scorsese really wants it to be ambiguous that he is, but I could be mis misviewing misreading Scorsese. No, there. well that also just maybe like I I have the tendency to see things in right and wrong and like there's that's where you cross the line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And, and like that there are laws that then you trespass and you've yeah. like that triggers all the consequences and it doesn't matter like intent matters. <laughs> Yeah. Circumstances and mitigating factors matter. But but yeah, like at the end it's still a betrayal. At the yeah. end, it's still, it's still apostasy yeah. and a hidden faith. Uh, like there, there's something so hard about that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will say also in this, um, it's very interesting here. Um, so we have the the victory for Arwal, and she doesn't. It's not satisfying. Right, like she has the right. the sign of her love being a priority, and her heart's in torment. And right after that, um, that really long passage you read earlier, 
uh, I had a terrible longing to unsay all my words and beg her forgiveness, but I held out the dagger. Like, like there's this, this thing in her that's rebelling against her own tyranny and, and longing to make things that knows what she's doing and that is pulling her in the same way that the beauty was inviting her to dance mm. and to rejoice and to love. Like this thing is inviting her to repent and to, to be forgiven and to not do what she's about to do. And that, that grace around her this whole time, um, even when she says terrible things about the gods, even when she is so manipulative with psyche, um, that, uh, that just gets me every time. Um, yeah. Yeah. The drama of it. And she's able to see that now that she's writing the book, I think mm-hmm. more clearly, which I think is part of the reason that the question about the past comes up, whether the gods can change the past, right? Mm. When you're meditating on the past, yeah, the, the past is always being interpreted by us in the present. And God is a part of giving us insight into, uh, into the past and on when we heard his voice in the past that we didn't, and we didn't have the time to, you know, recognize it. Right. But, but that brings us to chapter 15 and she's waiting on the other side of the stream and watching and um, sees the first light when Psyche, you know, lights the lamp before she puts it under the, uh, the, the bowl. Is it a bowl? An urn before she puts it under the urn. She's daydreaming about how everyone will miss her when she's dead. Right. Which is, which is great. Always a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, she's like, Oh man, I might die. I better be careful. You know, my, my arm is uh, wounded and, and I don't have any food because I left in the urn that I gave psyche uh, for at once leaping over all question of how it should come about. I saw myself laid on the pyre and psyche. She knew now she loved me again. Now beating her breast and weeping and repenting all her cruelties. The Fox and Bardia were there too. Bardia wept fast. Everyone loved me once I was dead, but I'm ashamed to write all these follies. Right. Um, mm. Which is, uh, which is, um, yeah, another way that writing the book is a source of redemption for her, mm-hmm. right? Because these things she can weed out of her heart when she's writing about them um, and, and recognize them for what they are when so, you know, so often throughout her life, I'm sure they're so congenial to her thought and to her um, emotional life and, and um, uh, that, that, she doesn't necessarily notice them, but, but writing is a form of confession. But then, uh, then we have this amazing passage, which is really the high point of chapter 15 and a definite high point in the book with the light and the great voice. What checked them was the next appearing of the light to my eyes, long swilled with darkness. It seemed brighter than you would have thought possible bright and still, a home-like thing in that wild place, and for a time longer than I'd expected, it shone and was still, and the whole world was still around it. Then the stillness broke. 
The great voice which rose up from somewhere close to the light went through my whole body in such a swift wave of terror that it blotted out even the pain in my arm. It was no ugly sound. Even in its implacable sternness, it was golden. My terror was the salute that mortal flesh gives to immortal things. And after, barely after, the strong soaring of its incomprehensible speech came the sound of weeping. I think... If those old words have a meaning, my heart broke then. But neither the immortal sound nor the tears of her who wept lasted for more than two heartbeats. Heartbeats, I say, but I think my heart did not beat till they were over. A great flash laid the valley bare to my eyes. Then it thundered as if the sky broke in two straight above my head. Lightnings thick followed one another, pricked the valley left, right, near, and far, everywhere. Each flash showed falling trees. The imagined pillars of Psyche's house were going down. They seemed to fall silently, for the thunder hid hid their crashing. But there was another noise it could not hide. Somewhere away on my left, the walls of the mountain itself were breaking. I saw, or thought I saw, fragments of rock hurled about and striking on other rocks and rising into the air again like a child's ball that bounces. The river rose so quickly that I was overtaken by its rush before I could stumble back from it, wet to my middle. But that made little odds, for with the storm there had come a tyrannous pelting rain. Hair and clothes were already a mere sponge. Um, So it kind of works, um, but, but not exactly in the way that she wants it to. Right. Um, Psyche does run away weeping, but runs somewhere else. And you have this mm-hmm. amazing moment of power that we find out is actually a prelude to, you know, the real encounter with the God, but it's, mm. it's the power of the God that she's seeing at this point. Right. Um, and, and, and the sense of the numinous, right. My terror was the salute that mortal flesh gives to immortal things. Um, and and she interprets this as as a good sign. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. This shows that this is an awful thing, right? And look at how much destruction he's causing, right? He's he's throwing some kind of a fit. So she would at least know this was some kind of awful thing that she'd she'd been with, right? Um, and and we mm-hmm. could at least die together, if nothing else, and she could die undeceived. And then, you know, in the, in the midst of all this, when she's trying to get out of the way and get to um, get to Psyche. Maybe she has her encounter with the God. There came as if it were a lightning that endured. That is the look of it was the look of lightning, pale, dazzling without warmth or comfort showing each smallest thing with fierce distinctness, but it did not go away. This great light stood over me as still as a candle burning in a curtained and shuttered room. In the center of the light was something like a man. It is strange that I cannot tell you its size. Its face was far above me, yet memory does not show the shape as a giant's. And I do not know whether it stood or seemed to stand on the far side of the water or on the water itself. Though this light stood motionless, my glimpse of the face was as swift as a true flash of lightning. I could not bear it for longer. Not my eyes only, but my heart and blood and very brain were too weak for that. A monster, the shadow brute that I and all Gloam had imagined, 
would have subdued me less than the beauty this face wore. And I think anger, what men call anger, would have been more supportable than the passionless and measureless rejection with which it looked upon me. Though my body crouched where I could have almost touched his feet, his eyes seemed to send me from him to an endless distance. He rejected, denied, answered, and, worst of all, he knew all I had thought, done, or been. A Greek verse says that even the gods cannot change the past. But is this true? He made it to be as if, from the beginning, I had known that Psyche's lover was a god, as if all my doubtings, fears, guessings, debatings, questionings of Bardia, questionings of the fox, all the rummage and business of it, had been trumped up foolery, dust blown in my own eyes for my, by myself. You, who read my book, judge. Was it so? Or at least, had it been so in the very past, before this god changed the past? And if they can indeed change the past, why do they never do so in mercy? Hmm. There's a lot there. <laughs> a lot, to, a lot to unpack. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, the beauty and the passionlessness, right? Like um, you, you said before, like he's he's immovable, right? Um, by by losing psyche, but I, I don't know that it's by losing psyche here right so much as just the the passionless and measureless rejection like there's no there's no end to it <laughs> like you can't uh it's more of a distance that comes to mind like just the he's at such a remove and that is the terror where he's rejecting and answering all of her complaint really that has been against the mystery of of him um, and his claim to Psyche this whole time. Yeah. I, I mean, she says he's not ugly. He's actually dazzlingly beautiful, but it would be easier to look at him if he was the shadow brute, if he was some, you know, contemptible creature or, or ugly thing. But yeah. And then the other thing is he's not angry. Yeah. Right. But it would be easier if he was angry, right? Um, that that there's a kind of um, there's just some thing about his holiness that the best analogy a lot of times I don't know if it's the best, but an analogy that people reach for is wrath mm. and um, a kind of uh, monstrousness, right? Um, at least um, you know a lot of religions have you know paint paint their gods as something that looks like monsters because you you can't really depict that of which we are all images right mm. um uh you you can't you can't really get to that and that that's their way of expressing the sort of um ineffability of mm -hmm. of god you know or 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 of the gods um it's it's interesting how you know both ugliness and anger would have been 
more supportable than the passionless and measureless rejection mm-hmm. with which it looked upon me, which is odd. Yeah, he rejected, denied, answered, and worst of all, he knew all mm-hmm. that I had thought, done, or been. Yeah, which, like, you would think that someone who doesn't want the gods in her business <laughs> would be fine with him rejecting her, but she's not. It's worse than anger to to her. Uh, and remember, she volunteered to be the sacrifice, right? Like she mm-hmm. she said, "Well, let them take me." Like like not let let me be the sacrifice. And the king laughed, like who? And that's when he showed her, this is what you are, the rejected one, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, this really does address the central question of the book, why must holy places be dark places, right? Um, Psyche goes and looks at that which she's not supposed to look on and finds out it's not because he's a normal person, it's not because he's a monster. It's because when you do see his face, he is so unbearably bright that you're not, it's, it's, it's an experience for which neither of them are ready yet. Mm. Oh, I just, sorry, uh, made a connection. It's the, the bright face, um, Reminded me of Moses going up to the mountain Mm. um, and the brightness of his face when he came back from his encounter with God being so much that um, the Israelites cried out and they were like, dude, you got to put something on that. Like we can't stand to even look at you in the reflected glory. And he had to wear a veil. Right. Um, And, and the times when was it Elijah God hid in the cleft of the rock and said, I'll, I'll, I think, that's glory. Moses. I think that's Moses too, but Elijah okay. is still small voice. Okay. Yeah. Well, where it's like, I'm, I'm going to put you in the cleft and I'm going to pass you by and I'm going to let you see like my back. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's Moses. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but if, if I don't hide you, if I don't like keep you in the safe place, it will destroy you. Um, if I don't come to you in the darkness in the night, like it will be too much to bear. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so we have the, um, the words of the God, right? Um, there, there was great silence when the God spoke to me. And as there was no anger, what men call anger, in his face, so there was none in his voice. It was unmoved and sweet, like a bird singing on the branch above a hanged man. Now Psyche goes out into exile. Now she must hunger and thirst and tread hard roads. Those against whom I cannot fight must do their will upon her. You, woman, shall know yourself and your work. You also shall be Psyche. The voice and the light both ended together as if one knife had cut them short. Then in the silence, I heard again the noise of the weeping. Um, and then we come back to the passage you read at the top of the show about the weeping. Um, but uh, hmm. yeah, interesting curse, right? It's a little, it's a little more nebulous than like 
the ground will produce thorns and thistles for you and, you know, I'll increase your pains and childbearing and things like that. Right. And, and, and you'll surely die. Right. It's, it's uh, about psyche going into exile. And, uh, you know, there are apparently people that he can't fight against um, who are going to do their will upon her. And then, or will, will have self-knowledge uh, and then, and, and we'll be psyched. Mm. Um, right. It is, it is strange that self-knowledge that you shall know yourself and your work, that that is a, a curse, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not real. I mean, spoiler, everybody, yeah. this is how this has a happy ending. It's not just one big bummer. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a curse, but it's a blessing. Right. But, but yeah, it's a weird, um, pronouncement. Yeah. Yeah. And I, man, I just love like a bird singing on the branch above the hanged man, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like that, that sweetness and that beauty and just not at all bothered by the terror below and the, why do the gods change the past? Um, and if they can, why do they never do so in mercy? I love that because it goes, I think, both to questions of redemption, but also to memory and, and that self-knowledge. Like, like here, this whole time, you know, when she talked about all her machinations and all her debates and questions with, with the fox and questions with Bardia and her, her confusion going around and trying to figure out what to do for Psyche. Um, and that being laid bare by, um, by the God, the mountain and by his revealing all that was always there, but she's losing her self deceit. Right. And, and the truth is made known and so clear that he hasn't, he hasn't changed her past here. He's just revealed her to herself. But that past that you have in your memory being so powerful and the story you tell yourself of who you are and what what role you played in all of this, that that Psyche's queenliness and nobility was learned from Orwal, right? That that Psyche owed everything to Orwal and belonged to Orwal, and that Orwal loved her with a self-sacrificing love, willing to, to even die to save her, right? In her own mind. Um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that being laid bare here is just uh, so profound um, and so painful, but beautiful to see. And, and then also the question of, of redemption. Um, do they never do so in mercy? Uh, which will, I think at the end come, come really into play. Um but it reminded me of uh, both of some Charles Williams, but also of, um, I guess it, in The Great Divorce, I don't have my, my books with me, where things go backwards working from heaven mm-hmm. um, into the story of your life. So the, the ultimate choice of redemption, the ultimate choice of rejecting God or accepting what's on offer from him. Uh, works backward into your life and either beautifies it or, or spoils it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And that uh, I think the suggestion here is we may not feel it, but they do change the past in mercy. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, or in judgment, right? In the, in the mm. great divorce, right? Right. Um, I mean, not not as much here, but um, yeah, the the damned will say we have always been in hell, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, the, and the blessed will say we have always been in heaven is what um, is what they say in the great divorce because yeah, the the property of either is is eternal, and so it it um, that that choice that you make in time transforms your entire life up until that mm-hmm. moment of choice. Um, and also, you know, and also afterwards. Um, but, uh, yeah, which, which probably also gives us some insight into how, or you will can become psyche, right. That, that in, in some sense, she always was psyche and the bride of the God, you know, in, in the, in the way that it matters anyway. Yeah. It's, it's, it is interesting also that there's just mass um, destruction, mm. right? When mm-hmm. this happens, right? I could see the God's anger when day broke. I could see what the God's anger had done to the valley. It was all bare rock, raw earth, and foul water, trees, bushes, sheep, and here and there a deer floated in it. Mm. Um, if I could have crossed the first river in the night, it would not have profited me. I should only have reached the narrow bank of mud between it and the next. So everything's just laid waste which is interesting you know he's even killed animals right in mm-hmm. uh, in his in his wrath which is not wrath but it's but still destructive isn't it like a flood isn't it like a great mm-hmm. flood chris yeah yeah no i think uh i think so um i mean even the the animals the innocent animals who yep. must also die yeah yeah um, yep, yep because of the sin and the repenting of ah, what he had made. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. And, and it's, and it's, you know, obviously that makes us uncomfortable, but it's also like, well, God should make us uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, right. Like, like yeah. Um, and anyway, nothing that's said clearly can be said truly about, about, about this. Um, um, so then the final, um, part I sort of wanted to focus on was the part where she was like feeling her face, you know, from time to time, like, like, uh, remembering mm. that it's sometimes the God's way to turn us into beasts. Cause she's wondering, okay, how am I going to also be psyche? How is the God going to punish me? Often remembering that it is sometimes the God's way to turn us into beasts. I put my hand up under my veil to see if I could feel a cat's fur or a dog's muzzle. <laughs> or hogs tusks beginning to grow there and yet you know she's not afraid but um but that leads us to our um uh foolish question of the um of the week uh which comes to us from our sometime co-host Megan Logston um and she asks well what if she did turn into an animal right um if the worlds of Till We Have Faces and Narnia collided in the most bizarre mashup ever. What talking animals would the characters in Till We Have Faces be and why? Um, so obviously, I think we answered this last time with the fox, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty easy obviously. answer, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but what about the others? Uh, I think Bardia would be a mighty war horse. 
um, yes. noble and uh, brave and victorious in battle, right? Um, Orwell, uh, I... I think it's funny that she saw, like, felt for Cat's fur first, I think. Um, because she's she's very clever, um, but also not trustworthy. And Lewis's cats are not, um, or at least cats in Narnia um, sometimes are not great. <laughs> yeah, true. Good old Ginger. Um, oh. And Ginger does is punished by the wrath of Aslan, you know, in the, oh. in the last battle. Um, so she turns into a cat that is a dumb cat. Um, um, yeah. Um, Redival. I don't know. Um, I, I could see um, Bata as a kind of like hen, like in. Mm. Like in that Robin Hood, you know, with yeah, the, uh, yeah, uh, what's her name? Cluck the Disney something one. or other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I like that. Uh, uh, Redifle is like a malicious poodle. I don't know. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And that, that way, she's always fighting with her sister too. Which yeah, got some dogs don't get along. There um, we go. And uh, gosh, uh, what about the king? A really dumb drunk bear. Yeah, I could I could see a bear. Um, the problem is, so many animals are good, and so many of these characters are rotten. Yeah, right. And so it's hard to pick. Like, oh, um, and Psyche. I was thinking, uh, Psyche's hard, but I was picturing a bird. Hmm. Um, yeah. No, I think that's really appropriate because the bird is a symbol for the soul. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, that that works. I would say the priest, too, though, would be a bird. It would be like a vulture, you know. Uh, more like a Tash um, figure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and I guess the god of the mountain would have to be a lion, you know, because <laughs> otherwise it gets really weird. Because um, <laughs> uh, Aslan and the god of the mountain should probably be the same person or in maybe like in the same godhead and some weird like aspects <laughs> of the godhead that you know people on earth aren't <laughs> i don't know some more light heresy for you listeners um, <laughs> come to this podcast for that sort of thing um uh let's see yeah i think that's I think that's pretty much all the characters thanks for that thanks for that question megan um i feel like we all learned a lot is there anything else you wanted to note I mean, just weirdly, where we leave Orwell, um, when she looked on the things about me with a new eye, now that I'd proved for certain that the gods are and that they hated me. Mm. Um, I love that her lawyering for herself is so, um, she, it's, it's easy for her to, to, fall right back into the oh well this just goes to prove everything i already thought right i prove for certain the gods exist they hate me and are against me and that yep. is her complaint from start to almost finish yeah 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 it kind of makes me want to get back on my hobby horse of like proving that you are a victim and have no agency is not 
a path to personal agency and power. It's just not. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. It, it also reminds me of this, uh, you know, the moment in the, in the witch's Sabbath in um, descent, uh, not descent in hell. Um, the one we were, the one we read. Uh, oh, war in heaven. Oh, war in heaven. Um, there we go. Yeah. Where uh, persimmons has a kind oh. of, Divorce from all things, right? Mm. Uh, where, where Simmons is like, you know, everything is now my enemy. Because, of course, once God is your enemy, all created things are also against you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or at least from your perspective, they, they are. Um, um, even if God ends up making them instruments of your redemption, uh, regardless, as, as he does in Persimmons' case. Yeah. And then one, one more thing, just to finish out, man, um, that you also shall be psyche meant that if she went into exile and wondering, I must do the same. And, and she, she's thinking about this and thinking actually like, this is, um, this is a gift. Like she, she sees it as a good thing and you can see glimmers of redemption here. Mm-hmm. If I could have borne yeah. hers as well as my own, but next best was to share. And with this, I felt a sort of hard and cheerless strength rising in me. I would make a good beggar woman. <laughs> I was ugly and Bardia had taught me how to fight. Um, and that sort of strength that buoys her through the rest of her life, um, the hard and cheerlessness that she, she faces the world with, um, because she has this awareness of communion with Psyche in this suffering that she can't bear psyches and she caused psyches pain in so many senses, but, um, but that she gets to join her is its own gift. Yeah. I think you're right. It's a glimmer of what redeems her. This, this sort of, uh, you know, and I really think Lewis obviously, um, and, and Megan, I hope you're listening, but Lewis obviously influenced by Williams here, right. Um, and his, um, coherence. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, go yeah. here. It's going here. It's um, um, yeah. This this idea that the way to redemption is um, taking on each other's sufferings, right? Mm-hmm. And and, and um, you know, even mystically taking on each other's sufferings, which obviously is what's definitely going on here. And we'll see this even more, you know, toward toward the end of the book. But yeah, the next best was to share. Um, the hard cheerlessness also works against her redemption. It seems mm-hmm. as, as the book goes on, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Like this is a moment in which, ah, her love for psyche. Actually, there is a glimmer of actual love in there. Right. right? And that spark or coal can be blown into flame right or transformed into an actual love right um which is uh, which is beautiful all right well listeners thank you all for joining us as we talk about these really climactic chapters and uh yeah until next time you also shall be psyche next best is to share you, you take that <laughs> however you want to take it Uh, whatever that means to you
blessed encounter full of joy unscheduled on the Giessen plan, with here an addict of Tolkien, there a Charles Williams fan.